Father God, I pray in this moment, it can be so easy to fall in to these familiar seasons, these familiar moments, and have hearts, as we opened this service with, that are hard, or maybe that are arrogant, or maybe that are just not in a place to truly hear the incredible power of this moment of your son on a cross. I pray, Lord, as we reflect on your agony and our access, God, I pray that by your spirit we would open up the eyes of our hearts. I pray that right now, God, that we would truly, each of us, be reminded that paradise is flung open and you invite us in through your blood. We praise you, Jesus, for being our spotless lamb. We thank you, Spirit of God, for illuminating these scriptures. Open up the eyes of our hearts, and we pray this together in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning we are looking in this Lenten season at this truth, this image of Jesus on a cross. And in particular, there was two really main ideas that really stirred up in me as I was reflecting on this passage, in particular this passage in Matthew, and the words are agony and access. And this truth that it is only through agony that we get access, it is only through the cross that we get to come to communion. Agony and access. I don't know much about agony. It is defined as a word that, 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 that it relates to extreme suffering, mental and physical. I cannot say that I have necessarily ever been in a place of agony. I think I've seen and observed others in agony. Remember in particular the birth of my first child and the nerves and the frustration or just the, the waiting and I remember um, uh, I felt in a little. I, I felt so like nervous that I ended up getting sick and throwing up. And my superhero wife, you know, has our first son. And kind of this idea, this feeling of all of this agony and this pain at this beautiful life that came out of it. As a pastor, I've seen not just physical agony. I have. I have seen and counseled. Lots and lots of, of broken emotional agony. Agony from depression, agony from, from, from the abuse and the hurt and the pain of others, A agony from, from, from bullies and people who have hurt others, teenagers, youth, children, husbands, wives. I've seen agony from broken relationships and broken households. And of course, the agony as we spent some time in confession, the spiritual agony of our own sin. The agony of addiction. The agony of alcoholism and substance abuse or the agony of anger, the agony of, of, of pride and ego. 
It seems to me, as I was thinking about this word agony, that all of it is rooted in the fall. All of it is rooted in Adam and Eve sinning against the Lord. And because of their sin, being cast out of the garden, two cherubims to guard Eden and to work the land, and then ever since then we've been experiencing the agony of sin. Agony and access. Thinking about this, it seems to me that as we think on this Good Friday, that to truly not miss the significance of Good Friday, that it's important that we are open and honest about sin. That we are open and honest about our peace in the agony. And it's critical to the way that we see Jesus on the cross. It's critical to the way that we see Jesus on the cross. As we look at this passage of Jesus on the cross, I want you to see something fascinating. That as we reflect on his agony, that he takes on our agony. It's really interesting, Tim read to you from Psalm 22, a psalm written by King David. A psalm hundreds of years before Christ that was about this very moment on the cross. A psalm that David, many commentators say, they, we don't know that David ever went through something that he wrote about in Psalm 22, but he seemed to write from a place of agony. He seemed to write from a place of, of intense agony, or perhaps by the Spirit, he was, he was writing prophetically about the cross. And I want you to see how this account in Matthew chapter 27 beautifully relates to the agony that David wrote about. And I believe the agony that we feel. The agony that if you're honest and you wrote on that piece of paper your agony and you're really honest about that one piece, that one thing, that one deep, dark, hurtful thing in your life or maybe that, those things, if you wrote that down, you can feel that agony. This is what I wanna get after this evening. First, the agony, the physical agony of Jesus on a cross. Notice here in Matthew 27, verses 35 and following, says this. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there, and over his head they put the charge against him which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Notice the parallels in Psalm 22. You have Psalm 22, 16. He, he writes about dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have what? Pierced my hands and feet. Written hundreds of years before in agony anticipating this and we see that it says that they crucified him. Crucifixion, this, this horrible, torturous way of killing criminals. And it wasn't just about the pain of having nails in your hands and your feet. You would be hung on a cross 
And to breathe, you would have to lift up your body, pull against the nails or against the things to breathe, and then you would slowly suffocate and die after being tortured and whipped to the point of death. And we see this here, the physical agony of Jesus. It says, I can count all my bones Scholars believe that Jesus, we, we see pictures of him with a loin cloth on for our own uh, grace. Many believe that he was crucified naked on a cross in humility and despair. Physical agony. One of the most painful, difficult, horrific ways to die. And we can see these connections here of Jesus on the cross in this physical agony. But not just physical agony, we also see Jesus taking on the emotional agony. Notice in Psalm 22, it says, all who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And then notice verses 38, and following these same things, those who pass by, by derided him. What does it say? Wagging their heads. Same words. You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, look, look at the parallels here. He trusts in God. Let him, let God deliver him now if he desires him, for he said, I am the son of God. It's so interesting. If you have been reading in, in Holy Week, earlier in the garden, it says that they come to arrest Jesus, and Peter, being Peter, pulls out his sword, Right, he cuts off a guy's ear and Jesus stops him. Do you remember what Jesus says? He says, Peter, I have legions of angels at my expense. If I wanted to stop them, I could. And as we look at Jesus in his agony, as we look at him in his physical agony and the emotional agony, have you ever had people mocking you, deriding you? I know for me, playing a baseball game and the other kids start yelling at my kids, I start getting mad. That's nothing compared, I mean this is total mockery. And so fascinating to me as we look at this passage, so beautiful and so ironic that, that as the chief priests and the elders are saying he, will, he won't save himself, that they forget that Jesus wasn't there to save himself, he was there to save sinners. In order for him to do the work of God, he needed to die on that cross and take on that emotional agony. Perhaps you could relate a little bit to emotional agony, to not being understood, to deep, dark thoughts. Imagine as Jesus is on the cross, he feels those same emotions. But it wasn't just physical agony, it wasn't just emotional agony, it's also relational agony. Look at verse 45 and following. It says, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. This is in the Aramaic. 
I love that the gospel authors wanted to record the original language here. And we learn here that he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you read in the gospels, notice Jesus never talks about God as his God. Every other instance until he's on the cross, God is what? His father. Don't miss this. On the cross, as Jesus is there, he feels the forsakenness of the father. The relational forsakenness that he had to take on. The agony. And I I think about that as I think about some of the relational agony that many are going through. The broken families, broken relationships, broken households, and the destruction. And Jesus on the cross taking on this relational agony of separation from the Father. And so we see this. We see physical agony. We see emotional agony. We see relational agony. But above all, there is a spiritual agony. There is a spiritual agony agony. Notice here, in verses 47 and following, it says, and some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah, and one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed to give it to him to drink. Now there's a lot of debate about what is on here. Other accounts say it was vinegar, and this actually wasn't an act of kindness. This was an act of torture. It was to make you even more thirsty which relates to Psalm 22 when he says that his tongue sticks to my jaws. Goes on and says, but the others said, wait, let us, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. I believe this is the moment when John says that he cries out, it is finished. What is finished? We believe that in the garden when we were excelled and excelled from the garden, cast out, exiled from the garden, cast out, that forever we've been dealing with this agony of our sin and our misery and our pain, and when Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, that the spiritual agony was dealt with, that he was taking on, it says in Corinthians, that he who knew no sin became our sin. This agony, as we reflect on Good Friday, don't miss this. And out of this agony, you see something beautiful. Out of this agony, you see what? Life. I love in Matthew that we even get a taste of it in the, the, the Calvary story. Out of agony, you get what? Access. Turn to the person next to you and say, we get access. We get access first. In this, in this, we see immediate access. In this moment, when Jesus says, it is finished, we see something incredible. We see this immediate access. Look at what it says here. Verse 51 says, behold, 
The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top, not from bottom to top like some other, somebody else could tear it, from top to bottom. And the earth shook. There was an earthquake. And the rocks were split. And the tombs also were opened. In that moment, there was this instant access. This curtain ter- uh, tearing in two. It's fascinating to think about the story of the Old Testament. Remember, we talked about when, when Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, they were cast out of the very presence of God. It said that there were two cherubims guarding the, the entrance to Eden, the entrance to paradise. And then we see a tabernacle. The Lord comes to the people. He comes back to them. He doesn't reject them. He comes and he says, I will make a tabernacle with you. And in that tabernacle, they would have the, at the entrance to the Holy of Holies, cherubim. And there was a curtain, and on that curtain there was cherubim. And they did the same in the temple. And this very temple that signified our distance between, between the very presence of God and humanity, it says is torn into immediate access. Ezekiel 37 gets after this in a really fascinating way. Ezekiel 37 verse 13 says this, you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from the graves, O my people. Seems to be allusion to this very moment here. So we see this immediate access, but also look at this, there's also eternal access. Now this is kind of, you gotta stick with me here. Oftentimes you're not gonna hear the Matthew account because this verse that I'm about to read is really confusing and quite honestly, we don't really know what to do with it. (laughs) But I think there's some beauty in it. Let's keep reading in this account. Jesus has just died, the curtain has torn in two. It says that that he cries out, the tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, as we read this, commentators are, they they, they make it a point that it seems to be that here, what, what is Matthew saying here? What is he doing here? It seems to be that it says that the, the earth shook and the, the tombs were opened and then Matthew there's a good stop there. And there's a lot of debate about, it says that these saints, these are probably Old Testament saints, saints that were waiting, saints that we read about in the Old Testament scriptures are waiting for the Messiah and his work to come. And they're waiting, and then it says that, it says that, 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 that there's this, this opening of the graves, and they come out. There's this access here. And and many commentators say it's really interesting that here Matthew makes it a point that they come out and they go into the city, they go into the city after the resurrection of Jesus. And Matthew wants to make it really important that we understand that the cross and the resurrection are connected. That it's not just about the resurrection, it's also about the cross. And and here, we believe this, we believe the Bible to be true, so we don't believe we're reading a fairy tale. We believe this really happened, 
And that this access, that when Jesus died on that, on that cross, that work was for past, present, and future. It wasn't just for the future, it was also for those who were waiting, who were waiting for him to come. It was opened up, and I, I picture this beautiful, eternal resting. Paul says in Philippians that he longs to be with Christ. We believe that when we die, we are with Christ. And so we believe as we, as we look at this that we don't, we're not really sure how it happened, but it's a picture of the resurrection that we are invited into and that these saints who were waiting are also resurrected after Jesus, the first fruit of resurrection, resurrects, they resurrect. If that's confusing to you, talk to Pastor Doug and he'll clear it up. Above all, I think as I, as I read this, I think the most important thing we were asking our teaching team, why did Matthew include this in here? He wants us to know that death and resurrection are together. He doesn't want us to miss the power of the cross, that when Jesus died on the cross, his spotless, perfect blood was doing a work of resurrection right there. And the resurrection fulfills it and completes it. He doesn't want us to miss that. And it's for all times, for all people. And so we see this eternal access, but also don't miss, there's a relational access. There's a relational access. It says, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said what? Truly, this was the Son of God. Truly, this was the Son of God. This relational access is opened up to us. We are invited in. And it's this interesting place of mourning, but knowing that Sunday's coming, amen? This was on the day of the Passover was the next day. And there's prophecies about this very moment. It says in Amos 8, verse 10, it says, I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. We feel this. And I hope as you reflect on this, as we see the agony of our Savior and the access that we are given, my question is, what's your response? I th three challenges for you as you respond to this. First, don't domesticate. Feel. It can be really easy, beloved. On Good Friday, just say, oh yeah, the cross, it's so sweet. I got my necklace. No, that it, there's agony on the cross. There's pain on the cross. There's separation from the Father on the cross. And I believe that part of our call on Good Friday is that we don't just wait, we just don't say, oh, you know what, I'm just gonna, we're, we're gonna celebrate Easter. We actually are gonna lean in and feel the agony of our Savior. Because we believe that that agony that he took on, hear this, is our agony. And so we, we, we give that to him. Don't domesticate it, feel it. Second, don't reject it. 
belief. This is more than some religious thing we do. We believe that God himself became a man, that he took on our agony and gave us access, and it is through faith in his work on the cross that we are saved. And it can be really easy to miss this. It can be really easy just to say, well, you know what, no, I'm, I, I'm gonna do this, or, or, or it can be really easy to, to just say, you know what, that's a great story, or, or, or just not to really believe deeply in our hearts. It tells us in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, then you will be saved. I encourage you, I challenge you, believe in the cross. Believe in the crucified Savior. Don't reject it. Don't reject it as some story, believe it. And third, don't cheapen it. Receive. As you think about your agony, as you think about your sin, as you think about the things that you've done or the things that have been done to you, I have heard it said, well, that's great. But I don't know that, like, I'm so far gone or maybe, you know what, I need to go and get these things in order before I can really, really like, like be a Christian. <laughs> before I can really do this, I need, I, need to, I need to go to church more regularly. I need to pray more regularly. I need to read my Bible more regularly. I need to go you know, confess all my sins more regularly. And, and my, my hope is, is as you think about the agony of the Savior is that you would recognize that, that we are invited to be a people who receive his grace. I love that on Good Friday we recognize that we believe in the cross, we, we confess our sin, and then we have the table. And that Jesus gives us the table and invites us to the table to eat and receive. Hebrews 10 says this, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us hear this, draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure waters. Beloved, I challenge you, as you reflect on the agony of our Savior, May you not miss the chance to say Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left its crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And to let his agony take on our agony and for us to receive in exchange access to the Father. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this Good Friday, this beautiful reminder that you, in all your glory, in all your wonder, you went to the cross willingly. You died on that cross willingly. And on that cross, the work was done, God. Our sins are paid for. And Lord, you invite us in. We have access. I pray, God, that you would help us to truly be a people who exchange our agony for, you, for the access that you give us. 
And that out of that, we would walk out remembering that you are Lord and that you are risen. So I pray, God, even in this moment, as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, I ask God, Lord Jesus, would you right now help us to step into that communion, to commune with you, that right now, Lord, that you would do your your work of speaking into us. Have your way, Lord. Pray this together. We pray this together in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.